I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm joined in the studio by Yaya Mokhtarzada, who's co-founder and CEO of Truebill. Yaya, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, the way I like to start it off is first point our listeners to your your website, and you've got a nice domain, truebill.com. Yaya, give us the elevator pitch for Truebill. Sure. Truebill is essentially an automated financial advocate that takes action on behalf to save you money. It does that in a number of ways. Uh, the first way it does that is when you sign up, it shows you everything you're paying for automatically in one place. So these are things like subscriptions, bills, anything on automatic payment, and it lets you cancel any of those with one click. So if you have an old New York Times subscription that you're not using, you don't have to wait on hold for 20 minutes, you can just click the cancel button and Truebill will get rid of it for you. Or similarly, if you have a gym membership, those are kind of notoriously difficult to get out of. You don't have to go to the gym in person and face your trainer and say you're quitting. You can just click cancel and it'll get similarly get rid of that for you. From there, it continues monitoring uh, who charges you and looks for additional inefficiencies that it can fix. For instance, if Truebill sees that you're charged a late fee from your bank, it will automatically give you a notification that says, hey, your bank just charged you $35. Click here to let us request a refund on your behalf. All right. Well, let's let's circle back and start start with the the product itself. So what what is the platform used to deliver it? Is it primarily an app? It's a mobile app, yeah. Okay. And it has only you only have an app, a mobile version, is that right? So yep. it's an it's it's an app. Yeah, once you sign up we do have a web dashboard, yeah. but the initial experience is a mobile app. All right. So let's say I'm I'm very intrigued. This is certainly addresses a pain point that I, I feel so uh, walk me through the experience. So I, I how, how do I get started? Sure. Yeah. So you uh, download the app. You can do that from the mobile website or just in the iTunes app store in general. You search Truebill, you download it. From there, what the app is going to ask you to do is sign up and connect your banking institutions. Mm -hmm. So that's your bank or your credit card company. And what that does is it gives us read-only access to your list of transactions. Um, our algorithm immediately goes to work and identifies recurring charges and then brings you to a dashboard, where, which gives you kind of a snapshot of your finances, as well as any inefficiencies we identify. That snapshot includes uh, how you're spending this month compared to spending last month, uh, the balances in your various accounts, and then who's set up for auto bill. And then again, any charges that we think are excessive or unnecessary. Mm -hmm. So you said read-only access, but essentially the way you get at this information is by logging in on my behalf, correct? So I'm giving you my account credentials, essentially. Right. We never actually receive that data. It's passed directly through to the financial institution. But what that does is it basically generates a token that lets us access statement-level data. Okay. Say just a little bit more about the mechanics of how that works. I still only want to enter that once. So let's say uh, I I have a a um, a Wells Fargo bank account and my login. I'll try very hard not to give my own credentials here, but my login, let's say, is Professor Ulrich and my password is one two three. Sure. Well, how how do I actually enter that data? Sure. Yeah. So uh, in the onboarding experience in the app, we say, okay, where do you do your banking? Mm -hmm. You click Wells Fargo and it's going to ask you for that username and password. Yeah. When you click that, it goes via API through a company called Plaid, which actually manages the API. Ah to Wells Fargo. I Wells see. Fargo validates the password information, uh, passes back a token, and then that token can, is what we use or Plaid uses in the future to re-request that statement level data. I see. So I do enter my 
my credentials once, exactly. but then from then on, there's this token mechanism that's use that this third party uses exactly. to to validate. And is that how I I remember this part of it? The very first company that I, I remember at least doing this was Mint, at least the one that the first one to get significant traction. Is that also how they do it effectively? That's yeah. exactly how they yeah. do it. Um, yeah. You know, we're kind of fortunate. I think. Mint really familiarized the masses with mm-hmm. this idea and, and with the idea of getting comfortable sharing this banking information. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably faced much more of an uphill battle getting people comfortable with it than, than oh, we yeah. do today. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. So that's a, that actually was just to underscore that first principle, which is sometimes it pays to be uh, 10th or 12th or much later in a market, especially if there's some critical barrier to consumer acceptance sure. that 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 and and mint really cleared the trail right i that. think we're, we're tackling a different problem but yep. it's a similar approach um and so we definitely benefited from that when we launched we discovered that of the people who kind of came and did that first sign up step which is just an email and password we get about a 45 percent link rate uh meaning 45 percent of people who give us their email address then actually link at least one financial institution ah. which was actually surprisingly high yeah well, what 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 explains that? So let, let's let's make that let's give a little bit more generic framework. So you could think about that as your conversion funnel. Mm-hmm. There are people who are aware of Truebill. Then there are those people who actually download the app, mm-hmm. and then there's some fraction of those who will actually link to an account, right. and then there's some fraction who will actually use the the service. So talk f- about that first level of attrition. Why is it that those who download the app don't ever don't eventually link? Sure. So. Uh, let's say about 55% don't link an institution. Mm-hmm. It breaks down into a couple of categories. Some people firstly just don't feel comfortable sharing yeah. that information, they never will. Other people don't know their bank login off the top of their heads. Maybe their wife is the one who set it up or their husband set it up. And then some people have long tail banking institutions like Mutual Bank of Nebraska or something that we just don't support yet. Ah, I see. Uh, yeah. So I think it breaks down between those yeah. three. All right. Now, let's circle back on something you said. You said you're solving a slightly different problem from Mint. But in your description, I detected some overlap. So so give us, uh, crisply articulate how, you, how it's different, how your focus is different. Yeah. So what Mint did was Mint was fantastic at showing you a million different ways to slice and understand your budgeting and your spending and your finances. Yeah. Um, I think we, we're an evolution of that in that we kind of under-index on the reporting of your finances. We're by no means the most comprehensive financial reporting dashboard. Mm. Instead, what we're really focused on is actually delivering the solution for you on your behalf. So kind of solving, I think of it as last mile delivery of financial optimization. Yeah. So uh, whereas Mint might say, hey, you know what? Heads up, you paid $60 in bank fees last month. That's where Mint kind of ends. Mm-hmm. And what Treble does is say, hey, you know what? Yesterday you got charged a $45 overdraft fee Click this button and let us get a refund for you. Ah, very nice. Now the uh, I I get that, and that sounds really nice. The benefit proposition, as I first saw it somewhere, it might have been on your the splash page on your website, or it might have been in the media somewhere, was really around subscription management. Was that where you got started, or is that the biggest pain point? Say a little bit more about that focus. Yeah, that's how the idea for this kind of started. Yeah. I was looking at my credit card statement one day. And I saw a charge for $40 for in-flight Wi-Fi. Mm. I thought, that's odd. I haven't flown in two or three months. So I dug into it. And this is almost embarrassing to admit. But I realized I was paying $40 a month for 14 months before I caught this recurring charge. Oh. <laughs> and so um, the first thing I did was I said, OK, you know what? What else am I paying for that I haven't been paying attention to or I'm unaware of? 
So I logged into my credit card dashboard, my credit card account, and there was no easy way there to parse out recurring transactions. And the next thing I actually did was I logged into Mint and tried to find recurring transactions yeah. and they didn't have it either. And so I mentioned this to my brother, who's, who's my co-founder, and that's when the light bulb went off and we said, you know what, let's just solve this. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, um, so that actually that was going to be my next question is the origin story, which you just gave me. What, what then ex- explains the drift into a more general set of, of services? Okay. Yeah. So we, we started with subscriptions um, and spent a lot of time trying to build what we think is the best solution for them. And that's not just reporting on them, but also the cancellation service. Um, the thing about subscriptions is it's not a repeat use case or a frequently repeated yeah. use case, right? You come in, you see your dashboard, you cleave off one or two subscriptions that you no longer want, and then that's really it. Mm-hmm. So as a business, we kind of needed to evolve and say, well, how do we... Pr- uh, modify our value proper, evolve, evolve our value proposition to continue being of value to the customer past the first one or two use cases. And so we, we kind of spent some time thinking about what's the scope of what we're building. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know what, where we're going to focus on is automated transactions, which is this growing segment of consumer spending. It starts with subscriptions, but it's not limited to subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within there, we want to be the platform that automates uh, not just the monitoring, but also the solutions. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about what new features to develop or where to take the product, uh, it always starts from those two, those two points. Um, where, can we, where, is, where are people being charged in an automated mm-hmm. way? And where can we automate the solution? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's talk just a little bit about that taking action thing. Um, y- you mentioned gym memberships. Mm-hmm. All right, how do you, it's impossible to cancel a gym membership. I mean, you basically have to devote a day to fighting off the, the, the person whose job it is to retain you. Uh, how do you actually get that done? Yeah, yeah it's, it's taken a bit of reverse engineering to yeah. try to find the most effective way or any effective way to yeah. cancel each of the, the yeah. dozens of gyms out there. Um, in most cases, what we do is we actually generate a certified letter. So not no a normal letter, way. but a certified letter <laughs> that goes out basically from the user to the gym. Yeah. And in that, in that way, they're required to cancel. And there's documentation that they received it. Uh, that's, that's a completely automated process on our part. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that you as a, as a normal consumer, it, it would take you an hour and a trip to the post office to do that. Right. I was going to guess you did that, but thinking, really, we're in the 21st century. Is that really how you have to do it? So actually, but it's pretty interesting. So they are required by law if they get a if they get a notification like that, presumably to cancel. No, the law is actually pretty gray in this regard. Yeah. But um, they do in their somewhere buried deep in the fine print of yeah. their terms have to somehow allow for cancellation to military members who are deployed overseas. And so that seems to be where they've landed. And in practice, what is the success rate? For gym cancellation? It should be 100%. Um, Sometimes what happens is there's a bit of back and forth where the user sends us, the information the user provides us is out of date, right? So they gave us their their current address instead of the old address, which is what the gym has. So um, we'll have to message back to the user, and this yeah. is all automated. The user receives a notification that says the address was incorrect. Is there another yeah. address we can use? Yeah. And that's relayed back to the gym. Got it. All and right. then, of course, there's more frequently than there should be, uh, these companies continue to rebuild, even after, in many cases, they've confirmed a cancellation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what do you do then? Do you notice that? Yeah, so our system, uh, when that does happen, an, an alert or flag is immediately raised. Yeah. And the the billing company is contacted and provided with proof of the cancellation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
I, it's a pretty good explanation of, of, of how the product works. Talk a little bit about the business. How, how, do you, how do you make money? Sure. So we have three revenue channels. Mm. One is when we, in many cases, when we cancel subscriptions or get bank fee refunds, there's money coming back to the user. And so we take a cut of that. We take 30% of any refunds generated through mm. Truebill. Secondly, how, is, how do you actually do that? Um, when you request a bank fee refund, if it's the first time yeah. you're requesting it through us, we ask for your credit card information. Yeah. And that's held where in the event that that uh, refund is processed I see. and verified, then we bill for a third of the refunded amount. I see. Okay. Or 30% to be to be yeah. more accurate. Yeah. And, and, and you know that a refund was occurred because you see the transaction. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay, so that's revenue stream one. That's number one. Number two is recommendations. So when you think about the, there, we think about a portfolio of different types of financial inefficiencies that we can help the user solve. Mm-hmm. A common one is uh, bill negotiation. So if we see a user has a high bill for their cable or cell phone bill, we call that out and loop in a bill negotiator. And they're actually successful lowering bills about 85% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so we get paid for facilitating that connection. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if we see a user... Um, making high pay, high interest payments on a credit card, we might recommend a balance transfer credit card or a better rate on car insurance. Mm-hmm. And again, for, for all those uh, references, recommendations, we get paid. Mm-hmm. And then third is actually, we're, we've been approached by a number of banks who are interested in licensing the software to actually make available for their own members. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that's, still, that's still TBD. You, 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 you have not yet rolled that out or... Without saying too much, we we have rolled out a pilot agreement okay. with one bank. All right, yeah. got it, got it. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about the about the journey. Uh, tell us, tell me what you did after you had you and your brother had the epiphany that this was an opportunity. What first of all, when was that, and what happened next? This would have been fall uh, about eighteen months ago, mm-hmm. so late twenty fifteen. All right, um, we went down to his basement and, and started building it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our first version was just a really lightweight algorithm that would detect recurring charges. Mm-hmm. So we, we got that out. It took about a week, and we sent it to friends and family. Mm-hmm. And two interesting things came back from that. One was that it seemed like about half the people we sent it to were quickly discovering they were paying for subscriptions they either didn't know about, didn't want, or had forgotten about. Mm-hmm. But the other was we started looking through the data that was coming back, and we saw this this kind of glaring uh thing which was that the average number of subscriptions per person had doubled over a period of 18 months which is just a massive shift in consumer spending behavior Hmm. and that's sort of what what woke us up to the fact that this is a big opportunity this is a big shift that we can build something on top of and then on a whim we kind of applied to uh, y combinator which is an incubator here in silicon valley and once we got accepted to that uh, it kind of hit us like wow this is this is real and we actually have to commit to this and do it yeah so actually there's a bunch of interesting stuff there, but let me, let's circle back. And where were you living at the time? At the time I was living in New York. Um, my brother was living in Maryland. And so we were doing this from his basement in Maryland. Yeah. yeah. So, so the move, what, what brought you to the, to Silicon Valley then was Y Combinator. Exactly. Is that right? So this is a, a pathway that's well-worn for entrepreneurs, which is they go to the promised land, they go to Y Combinator, they start up their, their business in, in, in Silicon Valley. Um, say a little bit more about this, about your brother and your respective skill set. So sure. had you done things together before? Yeah, he previously founded uh, webs.com. That was almost 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So we worked together at webs.com. 
uh, I left Webs. He stayed another almost eight years. Wow. And then we were both free and wanted to jump back in together. We have completely different skill sets. So he's a fantastic engineer. He's CTO of the company and he owns all things technical. Mm -hmm. And I guess that leaves me with everything else that needs doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was complementary skill set and you had prior experience working together and knew you wanted to do more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the, tell our listeners about the Y Combinator experience. Sure. Yeah. So Y Combinator is is this uh, prestigious incubator based here in Silicon Valley. They yeah. have two batches a year where they put a group of companies through this three-month course where they provide you with mentorship, a little bit of capital, and a lot of um, kind of guidance on how to rapidly accelerate growth. And it culminates with Demo Day, which is this investor feeding frenzy where they pack in 300 investors and everyone wants to throw money into your company. Mm-hmm. It was... What year? What, when, when, was, when was your Demo Day? Ours was March 2016. March 2016. So a little more than a year a year ago. Exactly. Think, things had cooled a little bit by March 2016, but still, it was still, you described it as a feeding frenzy. Walk, walk us, actually, back up. I, I'd like to know what you thought the product was going into YC and what it was half a year later coming out of YC. That's that's question. Let's start with that. Question one. Yeah. So going into YC, we had this dashboard that would show you your subscriptions. Yeah. And in some cases, let you cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing the cancellations myself ah. <laughs> first thing in the morning every day. Um, coming out, we actually were were going down a path that we we pivoted away from a few months later. Mm-hmm. Coming out, we thought this would be a subscription management platform in the sense that as a consumer, you would shop for new subscriptions, sign up, maybe manage your plans, um, personalize them, and and essentially, it was almost a commerce platform for subscriptions. Yeah. Uh, we we continued down that path probably for about another six months. That's where what we re- initially raised funding on yeah. for as well. Yeah. And then uh, after just speaking to a lot of users and asking them, why do you use Truebill or why did you sign up for Truebill? They all, all almost all came back and said to save money. Mm. And so we said, you know, it doesn't make sense to fight the the uphill battle of trying to get them to use it for something that they're not here for. Uh, okay. So and and that pivot occurred six months after. Uh, being at YC, that is the Correct. yeah, um, and then tell us a little bit about about the you mentioned the funding and you described it as a fin- as a as a feeding frenzy. Des- describe the financing, how hard that was coming out of YC, and where you are now on the on the fundraising. Yeah. yeah. So uh, while in YC, you sort of get bombarded by investors looking to jump in line and get funding into your company ahead of demo day. Mm. Y Combinator is really, really good at building buzz around your company and at teaching you how to capitalize on that buzz. Mm-hmm. So going into demo day, we had a few investors already committed and some some pretty big name ones. Um, so then getting into demo day, we said, here's our progress and here's who is already invested. And that generated quite a bit of attention around our company. We also got some very timely press. So we were on TV, we were in TechCrunch, we got marked as uh, one of the 40 fastest growing companies in Silicon Valley. So all, all things kind of came together at the perfect time for fundraising. We ended up raising $1.9 million pretty quickly, but it was interesting in that on demo day, because um, just the way Y Combinator structures the event, we had a lot of people almost desperate or begging us to throw in checks. Yeah. And, you know, it was my first time going through it and maybe I was, uh, I let it get to my head a little bit and mm. sort of told a lot of people, well, I'll think about letting you in. 
and then um, as as uh, interest starts to wane over the next few weeks, you sort of start calling those investors back, like, Ooh. "Hey, do you still want to invest?" Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, they've lost interest as well because they're outside of that artificial frenzy yeah. created by YC. So it was definitely an interesting experience being the popular kid to going back to being a normal startup, trying yeah, to get yeah, someone yeah. to believe in your crazy vision. So, so give us a little advice. So, what? How would you? Let's say our listeners find themselves in that position where there's a lot of interest. Um, how, how should you manage that interest? How, how would you do that again? Yeah. I, you know, it's, I think it's as simple as I, I tell myself, take the money. Yeah, just take uh, it. Just yeah. take the money. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important to get investors that can, that can mentor you and guide you and help you along the way. But once you have them in, which we did, um, just take the money from whoever else wants to throw in and you're not going to regret having too much capital and, yeah. You don't know if it's going to be as easy to get or even available six weeks from now. Yeah, I, I I hear you. In fact, I have a little saying. I wish I could come up with a better way to say it, but I my saying is the advice I give all the companies I advise is when, when the cookie jar is passed, take the cookies because you never know when that cookie jar is coming around again. Take the cookies, right. Take, but take the, the thing cookies. is when you have five cookie jars passing by you, you just yeah. think they're going to continue passing indefinitely. Right. right. And that's almost never the case. Yeah. So uh, just to get into the weeds a little bit, almost $2 million, and th- was that done in one round? Or, well, you had the YC capital. So YC put in 120000 Yeah. We took another 200000 just from, um, we made a strategic investor list, people yeah. we really wanted involved, yeah. um, and took another 200000 from them. Yeah. And then the remainder was done at the conclusion of YC. And then was that all done as a priced equity? No, that was round? done as a safe, which is... A slightly modified version of a convertible note. Yeah, so that's still hanging out there as a safe, correct? correct yeah. Okay, so just for our listeners, uh, safe I believe stands for structured agreement, simple agreement, simple for agreement. future equity, simple agreement for yeah. future equity. It basically says we agree that we that this will become equity when you do the priced round in the future, usually called the Series A. Exactly. Yeah, and so that and it, it's a it's a pre negotiated discount and cap typically. Yeah. Because we were popular, we didn't actually do a discount. We just did a cap, but yeah. Ah, wow. Yeah, it's great to be popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so how, how are you feeling now about the financing? You you had that $2 million. Um, you're probably going to run out of money uh, before long, right? So so what's the, what are you what you're thinking going forward? Yeah, I think it was the right amount of money at the right time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we sort of, that, that gave us about 18 months of runway. Yeah. So we set out the goals and the milestones that we need to hit. And we're sort of operating on that schedule, uh, which knock on wood so far has, has kind of gone as anticipated. Um, what that means is that starting effectively last week, yeah. uh, we're sort of out there talking to investors for our next round of funding, which will be a priced round. Yeah. So we just have a, about a minute or so left, but, but give us a sense of what you really have to prove from you're coming out of an incubator, you've raised a safe or a convertible note. Yours is uh, pretty generous, $2 million, quite a lot for that, on, for those kinds of deals. Uh, what typically do you have to prove between then and when you can raise a Series A? So when you're raising that, that first um, seed round of funding, you're almost raising on future potential or optionality. Mm-hmm. You can present and say, look, these are all the different potential ways we can go. And here's how each one of these can be great. And here's why we're the team that can make it great. Yeah. And that's enough. At the Series A, you have to cleave off a bunch of that optionality and say, here's the path we've committed to. Mm-hmm. And here's the metrics we've achieved on that path. And here's why another $5 million or X million dollars uh, will allow us to accelerate it. 
and here's the multiple we believe that money will allow us to accelerate it by. And here's the data that supports that. And and um, say a little bit about how it's going. I mean, what your short version of that pitch is. Yeah. Um, I think we've identified the right wedge into consumer personal finance. And we're sitting on a very acute pain point that we've figured out the solution to. Mm. So since launch, we've been able to grow between 10 and 20% month over month, mm -hmm. which is really healthy. And that's entirely organically. Uh, but on top of that, we found that we we very quickly establish a really valuable relationship with users where they not only trust us to give them information, but trust us to take action on their behalf, to, to talk to their bank on their behalf even. And so with that relationship over time, there's a lot of very valuable things we can do on behalf of the user that essentially makes Trubal a valuable company. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, Yaya, remarkably we're out of time, so we're going to have to end our conversation. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.